Hey, this is Regan Bach, Managing Partner at Better Faster Further. And I wanted to take a second to welcome you to the Better Faster Further podcast. Whether this is your first episode or if you've been with us since the beginning, we're so thankful that you're here. We know that time is limited and we truly appreciate each and every one of you and want to thank you for listening. Hey everyone, this is Adam Odosky. I'm part of the core team at Better Faster Further and co-host of the podcast. With every episode, we'll feature inspiring stories from bright business minds, accomplished athletes, and inspiring leaders. We'll provide insights, tools, and takeaways to help you expand your capacity. We'll also take it a step further and really try to uncover the deep, hard to reach, and often unexplored places of the human experience. Things like overcoming obstacles, failure, facing fears, pushing through the hard stuff, and ultimately highlighting the growth, opportunity, and lessons learned that comes from choosing the path less traveled. As a serial entrepreneur and now executive coach, ultra endurance athlete, and health coach, I know these discussions are worth their weight in gold. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Better, Faster, Further podcast. Very excited about our guest today. Today, we have Jeff Jones, who is the Vice President of Sales for the Americas, a relatively new role for him, and and we'll get into that in just a bit. But Jeff has a very deep experience and uh, has had quite a few interesting roles. He was a senior manager at Arthur Anderson, uh, senior manager at Accenture, was a practice director at Bearing Point, which is formerly KPMG Consulting. Uh, he had a myriad of roles working at British Telecom, BT, spent about a decade there and had many different titles. And we'll get into that and let him kind of articulate that a bit more. Most recently, he was a VP of Strategic Sales at DXC Technologies. They're almost five years. And again, is currently VP of Sales for the Americas for Orange Business Services. Very excited to have him on board. Not only is Jeff, does he have a wealth of experience in the work world, he has a wealth of experience in his personal life as well, and is a ultra endurance runner, was introduced to our colleague Adam Odosky at one of their recent races. And um, maybe Adam, you could tell us a little bit more about how you were first introduced to Jeff. I think it's an incredible story. And then we'll roll up our sleeves and get into it. You bet, Regan. So good morning, guys, and uh, good morning, everybody who's listening. I, I don't know if I would actually say that Jeff and I were introduced in Moab. It may be more accurate to say Jeff saved Adam at Moab uh, because we, we met each other for the first time at an aid station called Road 46, which is about 160 miles in, I think, right, Jeff? Yeah, that's about right. Something like that. Yeah. Needless to say, uh, the wheels were coming off the bus on, on, the, on the bus called Adam. And so... The Odosky train was falling apart. It was off the tracks and not looking so hot. <laughs> and uh, my wife met me at that aid station. And uh, that was the aid station just before we headed into the mountains. And it was, I don't know, middle of the night, midnight or something. When I rolled in and I, I said, I'm not sure, honey, that, you know, if the wheels totally come off up in the mountains, you know, I'm not quite sure how that will shake out. And she looked at her phone at the tracker and said, hey, that guy, Aaron Prevo, who the listeners may know we recorded a podcast with Aaron a few podcasts ago about Moab. The guy you ran with earlier, Aaron, is about to pull into this aid station and Jeff just out of nowhere pops up. I'm pacing, Aaron. Why don't you join us? And so, you know, Jeff is the 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 knight in white shining armor, you know, showed up and said, you know, come on along. And Aaron and Jeff and I ran together for the remaining part of Moab, which was, you know, 80 miles. And so we had a, we had a blast. 
and got to know each other then. And, you know, Jeff being a little bit more coherent than Aaron and I shared more about his life story and background and, and whatnot. And I did my best to, to share what I could about mine, but, you know, really that was in the, you know, in the form of a question, how long until the next aid station, when are we going to take a nap? <laughs> Do you have a charger? <laughs> uh, my foot hurts, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, anyway, that's how Jeff and I came to know each other, which and Aaron. Uh, so it's a really cool story that how the three of us got to know each other. But love to turn it over to you, Jeff, uh, to give more of a robust background and um, introduce yourself to the listeners. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Regan. Appreciate it. And um, you know, Regan, when you talk about me being an endurance running athlete, I mean, I, I don't know that I look at myself in that view yet, right? I mean, some of the things that I've done, right? So I've been involved with Moab for the last two years. The first year I was out, I did. 60 miles last year, as Adam just described, did 80 miles, which was a, a tough 80 miles. And then now, um, you know, with the support of Adam, yourself and, and Aaron, right, I've been convinced to sign up for Moab for next year, right? So in October, looking forward to that. Which, which to be clear, is, is Moab 240 miles. Yeah. So we're like tripling the, the distance that you did last time, right? And I actually think it's a little bit further than it was last year. And I think it's the time frame's a little bit longer. And so instead of like 111 hours, Adam, I think it's 120. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah, so it's, um, so that, that will be a challenge. But as far as just a little bit about me. So, yeah, I recently joined Orange Business Services as Vice President Responsible for Sales uh, for the Americas, which has been fantastic, right? I've been on board there for six weeks. I've had the opportunity to participate in the sales kickoff in my first week, which took place in Houston. Uh, two weeks ago, I was down in Latin America. I was in Rio de Janeiro. I was in Petropolis. I was in Sao Paulo. I was in San, Santiago. Fantastic just to meet so many people that are focused on taking care of the customer and making sure that we're doing what we need to do to run a successful business. So that was fantastic. Regan, as you mentioned, right? So my my background goes back to Arthur Anderson, where I was with Arthur Anderson, Anderson Business Consulting, Anderson Consulting, which was all within the Anderson family which became Accenture. And during that time, I had an opportunity to meet um, one of my best friends today, and that's Aaron Prevo. And so, you know, as, as you guys have talked to Aaron, he's been on some of the previous podcasts. Aaron was actually a customer of ours when I was with Arthur Anderson. So he and his, his dad owned a company and um, Aaron was COO of the company at the time. And I had the opportunity to work very closely with Aaron for a year, got an opportunity to meet at the time, girlfriend, fiance, Andrea, who's now his wife, and I um, have known Aaron for years and years. And so everything that I've done around endurance, frankly, anything, whether it's been biking, it's been running, it's been half Ironmans, it's been Xterra triathlons. I watch Aaron do it and I see that he's successful doing it. And I talk to him about training for something along those lines. And and then I pick it up and, and, and do it. And so so this will be the, the next new challenge. But but as far as meeting Aaron, so that was that was fantastic. That was with Anderson. I did have an opportunity to work for KPMG Consulting, uh, which was bearing point focused on retail technology, right? And so natural um, leaving, you know, what what I was doing with Aaron, going into retail technology, taking care of the customer experience. That was a, a great experience for me, right? Being able to do something new with a great team. Uh, and the last thing that I did there was actually work for a company called Quest Communications, which has now been acquired by at least one or two other companies. But um, was working with a gentleman named Elnor Ramji. And Elnor was the CIO for Quest Communication. He got recruited it to become the CIO of British Telecom. And so he recruited myself and a couple of others to go over to the UK, where I spent about three years 
uh, working on British Telecom, working very closely with our global the global services unit at the time, and and just you know learning a lot about telecommunications, frankly, that I didn't know from from the inside out. So I did that for a number of years. I had an opportunity to do internal roles. I had an opportunity to do operational roles, delivery roles, and then finally strategic sales. And so I, I did strategic sales with BT for a number of years, learned a lot. It was a great experience. BT was a great company to work for. And then the opportunity um, to go work for DXC technology. And so my entire time at DXC was focused on strategic sales. I was recruited by somebody into DXC that I had worked with previously at BT and previously at KPMG Consulting, and her name was Maria Pardee. And so Maria has been a great advocate um, throughout my career, and she's been, frankly, fantastic for me to work with. So I spent about four and a half years with, B, uh, with DXC and then recently left DXC to join Orange Business Services. And so now I'm responsible for all sales in the Americas. Got a fantastic team in both North America and Latin America. And, you know, just really excited, guys, about the opportunity that I see with with Orange. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've been talking to my team about is planning, right? So whether it's account planning or how you run your business today, when we talk about Moab, you talk about endurance and, you know, you talk about a marathon, right? It's always about a plan and training that goes into that. Because you don't get out of bed and run 240 miles or you don't get out of bed and run a marathon, right? It's always the, the training and the work that you put in that'll help make your goal successful. And so for me, ticking and tying the two together has been really important. You know, it, it's the way that I start my, my day every day is with some sort of exercise. Adam, I think I told you that I, I recently injected yoga into what I'm doing, right? So from a flexibility and just, just to do a little bit, some, you know, something that's a little bit different. And wow, you talk about a challenge, right? So from running, you know, I, I can run, I can run quite a bit, but getting into yoga, that's been that's been a humbling experience. Nothing like, you know, A, learning a new skill and realizing that you're a white belt in something all over again. You know, a couple of things that you said, Jeff, I just I I, I want to just highlight because maybe we can double click on them. Would love to hear a bit more about just kind of where you grew up and your upbringing, your father, your, you know, you're married, et cetera. But on the on the exercise and kind of routine and planning side, you know, I feel like, and, and this is coming from an ignorant outsider. So, in ultra endurance running, you know, there's always the plan, and I think there's the plan to train and the training regiment and the, the discipline that goes into it, which is obviously just critical, or you just don't make it. And then there's what looks good on paper, and then reality hits you in the face at some point, and you kind of go off script. And I just, I'm curious, maybe in in, in life and in in work, how you you know, manage that, like just the realities of the day to day when, when the plan doesn't go to plan, if you will. From an experience perspective, growing up, I grew up in Northern Illinois. You know, I've been in Northern Illinois my entire life. My family's here. My wife's family's here. We've got our kids. And so I'm married and I've been married for 28 years. We've got three children. Uh, my son, Ethan, who's 24, my middle daughter's 22 and uh, my youngest, Avery, who's 20. Both of my girls are at the University of, of Missouri. And um, my son recently graduated about two years ago from Iowa State. So from a growing up perspective, yeah, we've always, for the most part, lived in Northern Illinois. Although I did spend the three years with BT over in the UK, um, that was more of a long distance commute, if you will, versus um, relocating the whole family over there, which was the original intent, but just that didn't go to plan. So, um, so I became a long distance commuter. As far as my parents, my parents um, are both Marines. My dad lives in Park Ridge. My mom lives in Fox Lake. 
My dad is 89. My mom is 79. My dad was a uh, an officer in the Marine Corps. He was a, a pilot. He flew helicopters. He flew fixed wing. And so it's one of those things when, you know, ever I get a chance to spend time with, with my dad, um, whether it be over lunch, over dinner, just learning more and hearing more about his life, right? And um, I'll do a quick plug for his book. He actually wrote a book about his experiences growing up from when he was really young to about the time he was 30. Um, so right before I was born, the book is called Snake Rolling in Hot. And so it's interesting, right? You, you, know, you know a lot about your parents. You learn a lot about your parents from having conversations with them. I learned a lot about my dad actually reading the book, right? Because there's some things in there that, you know, one, you probably just wouldn't talk about with your dad, but you know, having an understanding of kind of what he experienced, how he grew up, et cetera, was super exciting, right? And um, every time I get a chance to sit down with him and I try to do it, you know, once or twice a month, we'll go out for lunch on a Friday. And it's just great to just catch up and just hear more about, you know, just different things. And, and we can talk sports, we can talk about politics, we can talk about the armed forces. I mean, he's got a great insight into everything and he's, he's a phenomenal writer, so. He was then, help, help situate us just in regards to like, what, what are the decades or, or time period where he's actually in, in the military? I'm just, I'm trying to figure out my, my, my time and space. He served two or three tours in Vietnam. So mid sixties, right? Early, early to mid sixties. Yeah. I was just going to say, I have quite a few friends. I did not grow up in a military family, but I just find it really interesting in a good way and fascinating for those that did. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the vets, you know, not all of them, but many of them, kind of choose not to talk about that stuff. You have to like work hard to extract stories and stuff. And it's interesting because there's more recently than ever, there's kind of like Navy SEALs and, and, and books coming out and they're like cracking open kind of the behind the scenes look at that life. And I feel like more and more people are talking about it. And then it, it used to just be like what happens in the military stays in the military. And it was like, you had to be this tough guy or girl and not talk about stuff. But it seems like that is slowly changing. Um, and the stories are just fascinating. People are just getting to know their parents for the first time as like these other humans and hearing these stories. And um, I have one buddy whose dad was 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 in the military and I forget he was a, a pilot of sorts, but they're starting to watch these military shows together that are quite realistic. And, and the dad is now opening up and being like, oh yeah, I was there. Or that reminds me of this. I just find that so fascinating. So to get to read a book and have like a firsthand experience to something who was your father but through that kind of more personal lens is fascinating. It's been outstanding. And I'm really waiting for, you know, the, the second, the second novel to come out. Although I, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, you know, there's been a short story or two that have been released and, and he enjoys writing, but, but I don't know that he's going to actually do another, another novel, but, but you're right, Regan. I mean, it, it was fantastic to read that and just learn so much. And it's not that I've gone back and kind of probed and asked questions. It just kind of comes out in the conversations that we have, which is, which is fantastic. Jeff, where was your dad stationed? So originally stationed in Hawaii. So in Kaneohe. My dad was in the Marines and stationed there as well. So he's, he's got a fondness for Hawaii. And so one of the things that we got to do when we were younger, my, my parents separated when we were, when we were quite young, but um, we always did things with my dad, you know, prior to Christmas just about every year and for, I don't know, eight or nine or 10 years, we'd go to Hawaii every year. So we'd go out for two years and we'd or two, two, um, two weeks and spend time in Hawaii. My dad traveled a lot. So 
it's when frequent flyer miles went a long way. And so it was my brother and I, so I've got a younger brother, Jay Jones. And um, so he and I, my dad would go out and uh, spend two weeks in the surf, in the sun, just enjoying time out there. But yeah, he, he really is quite fond of Hawaii. Oh, that's awesome. What was your dad's name? Arthur Lee Jones. But he goes by Bud. So everybody calls him Bud Jones. That's awesome. I'm going to go check out that book as well. That's so cool. And we'll link to it in the show notes too. Uh, so people can find it. But it's interesting. I, 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 I may go back and look and just see if I could find out if our dads were stationed in Hawaii at the same time. That would be really interesting. Very small world. You know, the other thing that, that I asked, because I did, I peppered you with like three different things there, but I, I just love hearing you know, folks' backgrounds. And, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey. You went, you went to Wharton as well, correct? I did like an executive training with Wharton. So one of the things that BT did is sponsored executives into certain programs. And so I got to spend some time at Wharton. I didn't get to do a full MBA at Wharton. I would, what, what a great experience that would be. But I did get to spend a month plus uh, living on campus. It was like an in-depth, fast-paced, you know, experiment. And it was it was fantastic, right? We got to go through a number of simulations. It was an it was an excellent, excellent use of time. You know what's neat is I think it's actually great when people get into the workforce. You know, my magic wand scenario for for people nowadays, and everybody's different, but is to not go straight into college after high school. Like take a year, do something, right? Work, travel, learn more about yourself, then get into the college years. You know, even getting a job, if you will. But I love the like executive. MBAs. I love it. Like when you have some experience and you actually know what the real workforce looks and sounds and feels like, and you've stubbed your toe a few times, then you go in and you kind of like surgically target these more like specific areas of development. I feel like the people that are in those programs are more focused. They're extracting more value. They're there for a purpose and they get out and there's nothing wrong with kids getting MBAs. I love it. But it's like, they're churning out MBAs and then you go, you know, work for one of the big four and then you blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you lift your head up and you're like, I don't even like what I'm doing anymore. You know? I think it's a great point. So everybody that I got to attend Wharton with, were all established executives, right? In, in whatever field they were in. And, and frankly, from whatever part of the world they were in, right? So we had people from Europe, we had people from Africa, a number of people, obviously from the US, but, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the experience that they brought was outstanding. You know, one of the things that I've talked to my son about, he's looking at going to business school and he's in the process of taking, you know, the test and doing what he needs to do. And one of the things that he and I have agreed is that, you know, he needs four or five years working, right? So he really understands, frankly, the business program. So when you get an MBA and you've got real business experience, you can apply it back, right? So I, I think it just means a lot more and you're able to really apply it to real life situations opposed to doing everything via textbook, right? Not that it's bad. I just think it's it's a better approach. And whether it's an executive MBA or you've got, you know, the opportunity to spend two focused years, I, I think that would be outstanding. Yeah, and I can only speak from my experience, which is very different from from most. But you know, growing up in Colorado and you know going to undergrad, you know, I, I was taking all these hard sciences because I thought I was going to do something you know related to that, and cha- then changed my major a couple times and ended up, but by choice and and kind of by design at the end, getting a degree in sociology and human services, but had all this like, you know, chemistry and math and science in my background. And then, you know, got done with school and just plowed work and travels and kayaked and all that good stuff for almost a decade. And then when I went to grad school, I like, 
you know, I didn't even know that organizational psychology was an option and, and, and kind of, you know, realized through a friend of mine, Chris Tobin, that he was getting his PhD in it. And then once I kind of found that, I was just maniacal. I went straight into grad school, was very focused, and you could just see the difference between the other kind of, you know, executives that were taking the program. You know, they're, they're, they're going to work during the day and they're going to school at night, but they were extracting so much value and bringing value to the classroom. I mean, the experiences, the stories they had, as opposed to, you know, quote unquote, the kids that were just going through it right out of undergrad, there's just a big delta there and, and neither is right or wrong. It was just noticeable. Fully agree with that. Right. And I, and I think, you know, some of the folks that I've had an opportunity to work with that have actually taken a couple of years, right. And, and learned a little bit about what, what they want to do, right. As far as where they want to go, how they want to apply it. It makes a huge difference. You know, as I mentioned, I've got two daughters at university of Missouri and my youngest, you know, continues to come up with new ideas on what she wants to do from a, a career perspective, all of which we support. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you need to be happy doing what you're doing. My request is make sure you, you finish up, you know, you finish strong at the University of Missouri, and then you can do whatever you want, right? Well, the other thing that you were touching on was, and I, and I, I, I posed a question a little while ago just about, you know, you had alluded to this notion of planning, having a plan, following the plan, executing the plan, which, which again, you know, I, I, I'd love to have you share why you think that's so important. And then the question I had posed is, you know, using using maybe the Moab 240 or, or or work or whatever. You know, you set the goals, you have the plans. The day shows up, and and then things kind of go off script. And I'm just I'm not looking for anything in particular as much as you know, just you've been in the business world long enough to realize you know not everything goes to plan. And I'm just wondering kind of what your take is on that and how you work through it and any lessons learned or recommendations for that. You know, going back to data, right? If it's not measured, it's not managed, right? And if it's if it's not managed, right? How do you, how do you know what you're ultimately trying to do or what you you're potentially you know able to accomplish? And so, when I think about a plan, I spent some time with my team this morning, right, going through all the dashboards that we got as as it relates to the data that we've got access to on a daily basis. And you know, getting a good understanding of that rich information is super important. So for me, Reagan, it's it's putting together a plan and working the plan. And, you know, Adam and I talked about this when we were when we were on the 80 miles that he had mentioned previously, right, as far as, you know, I know he had a plan, I know Aaron had a plan, and those plans are good, right? They provide direction as far as what you're looking to accomplish, you know, you, you, you set goals against those, but, but you also need to be smart enough and flexible enough to change the plan when the original plan is not necessarily the plan that, you know, is going to get you to where you need to get to. And you know, when Adam and I met and, you know, we started off from, um, you know, road 46 or we had 80 miles left. It was, it was a tough 80 miles that we had to go. And, um, you know, the whole thing was, and, you know, one of the things I said is we're going to get it done. Right. So the whole thing for Adam was get Adam to the finish line. And the whole thing for Aaron was get Aaron to the finish line. And so myself as a pacer, right. My plan was I need to be able to do 80 miles. I need to be able to stay ahead of Aaron and Aaron is pretty, pretty darn fit. And, and Adam is pretty darn fit. So I just had to keep marching and keep the pace up and, you know, get us to the end. And, and so for me, that's, that was the plan. And, you know, when I think back to when Aaron had actually talked to me about getting involved with Moab, right, it was probably two months before the race. And um, I had done it the year before. And then he said, do you want to do it again? I said, absolutely. I just want to do a different part of the, um, of the course. And so we just chose one of the more difficult parts of the course to do, which is a great experience. 
but I had to plan for it, right? So I set out a plan from from that day after speaking with Aaron as far as what I needed to do to get myself prepared. So I wasn't, frankly, awake pulling him back and slowing him down. And so I had to make sure that, you know, I was going to be capable of doing what I needed to do. And so whether that's racing, whether that's in business, whether that's in life in general, you know, having a plan that you're working to, and that can be, you know, financial, it could be whatever, right? But making sure that you've got something to work to is something that I've always done. And, you know, around my desk here, it's, um, I work to lists, right? So at the beginning of the week, I'll make a list. And at the beginning of the day, I'll check on my list and make sure that I'm working that list. But for me, that's all part of planning. That's all part of keeping me on track to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do for that day, for the next day, for the week, right, for the month, and um, continue to move that piece forward. But for me, planning has been something that, you know, I've really depended on. You know, go all the way back to Arthur Anderson when I was a project manager, right? I mean, it probably starts from then. You had a plan, you work the plan, you have a plan, you work the plan, and you continue to do that. And it gives you and, and your customer and your and, and whoever else you're working with confidence, right, that you're going to achieve the goals that you set out. That's right. And then, Jeff, just a question for you more more holistically, in your sales teams and in the organizations that you've worked in, are they OKR driven? Like what's kind of the, what's the rhythm and the cadence with which you like to set goals and how do, how do you actually cascade those through those teams? Cause you worked in some, you know, large organizations and, and, you know, y- your team now, how, how large is the team that you're actually working with right now? Approximately. It's about 60 people. For a company wide endeavor, you know, wh- what have you seen work well? And then for your teams in particular, how do you, how do you actually set goals? Yeah, so the, the goals that we set today, specifically for Orange, you know, start with the Americas, right? So they start with my boss, who is who's Scott Williams, and someone that I've known for, I don't know, the better part of 20 years, right? I met him right after, I met Scott right after I met Aaron. And so, you know, Scott and I have been working around each other for, I don't know, the past three or four companies. But, you know, ultimately, you know, he's got a goal that he's been asked to achieve for the region, um, my team is responsible for fulfilling that goal and doing what we need to do in both North America and Latin America. So it's a cascade, right? And you know, there's a number of individuals that have been around um, Orange for for years that have helped set targets. And I work very closely with those folks. I depend on them, right, to make sure that from a target setting perspective, one, they're reasonable, but there there's a stretch, right? There's always a stretch, but they're fair. Right. So they're achievable with work. And so one of the things that we've been working on is making sure that one, we cascade the right targets down, that they're fair to the team. Right. And that they're achievable. And so making sure that we're doing that on a consistent basis is really important. You know, it's leveraging the experts, Regan, that I've got around me to help make that happen. In a more traditional goal setting, it's it, it there is kind of a cascading or a top down component to that. How does then, you know, is there a bottoms up piece? You said they need to be fair. You go off and talk to your team, but is there some sort of like reconciliation that happens in the middle? And, and, and for your team, you know, given your, the current role, where do you see kind of, I don't know, friction points or challenges and or opportunities and just the goal setting and planning component that you're driving right now? I won't get into specifics, but there are some things that, you know, were in the plan last year that aren't in the plan this year. Right. And so, from a friction perspective, you know, there may be a point of view that what was good last year is not necessarily good this year and vice versa. And so goal setting is somewhat of a negotiation, right? Making sure that the individuals that are receiving the goals 
can wrap their head around how they're going to successfully deliver those goals. And, and that, that piece is super important. So as we're going through and taking a look at account planning, right? And so it goes back to planning. So we give you a target. How, what are you going to do together with us to ultimately achieve that target? And making sure that, you know, again, it's reasonable, right? Stretching, but reasonable. It's a negotiation. That's a process we're going through right now. And, you know, for me, I've seen some organizations where the target's a target, right? There is no negotiations. We're going through a process where we need to make sure we bring the team along with us, right? And that they're on board. Because frankly, if they're not on board, we're not going to be successful, right? So it, it takes a team. And, you know, one of the things that, that I've talked about from, you know, going through the interviews and, and for my first couple of days, it's, it's all about getting the right athletes on the field to do what we need to do to be successful. So it's not about one individual, but it's about the people you can bring together to ultimately drive those goals. And for me, that's all part of the process. It sounds like in general, and maybe you can speak to some of this, is just the culture at Orange. You, you've spoken very, very highly of it and just like great people, very loyal, very dedicated. For those that don't know much about just Orange, maybe you can give us just a little bit of background kind of on the company itself and to the degree that you're familiar, you know, just kind of a what, what it does, kind of where it's from and, and kind of where it's headed. Yeah, so Orange Business Services is part of Orange Telecom, right? So a uh, French-based company, right? So based in Paris. And so we are the kind of the global services arm, right, of, of Orange, right? And so we're working with multinational customers all around the globe delivering their services. One of the things about Orange is that we've got better global reach than any telecommunication company in the world, right? And so, so that's a fantastic attribute. One of the other things that Orange is very focused on is the environment. And so one of the things that I talk to the team about is some of the things that I look at, you know, green IT and, and some of the things that we're doing from, a, from an organizational perspective, how we're looking at the planet, how we're looking at what we do contributes to global warming, right? And what we can do to help prevent that. And one of the one of the things I talked to my team about um, the first couple of days that I met them was plastics in the ocean, right? I mean, I, I wear this Four Oceans um, bracelet because um, you know it reminds me of some of the things that we need to do collectively around the globe to do things that are good for the planet, right? And so for me, plastics in the ocean is one of those things. So when I read about what what we Orange is doing to help, you know, from an environment perspective, super important. But we are a big company, right? We're about 45 billion, you know, market share. I mean, so we are a, a, a big telecommunication company. Our team in the in the U.S. and in the Americas is focused on making sure that the multinational corporations that sit here that do business going out of the U.S. have the ability to support that, as well as businesses coming into the U.S. So what we call A-ended accounts or B-ended accounts. But bottom line, you know, delivering global services for these customers around the globe, right? We, we touch more than 200 countries around, around the world, which is, which is pretty amazing. Thanks for being here, everyone. At Better, Faster, Further, we specialize in helping leaders, teams, and organizations maximize peak performance. Our goal as a business is to help build organizations that execute effectively, to create high-performing teams, and to help leaders bolster their overall capacity. We're unique and we're different. Our real world in the trenches experience comes from building and scaling teams and companies of all sizes. 
When you partner with Better Faster Further, you're not going to get a recent MBA graduate. What you will get is a team with decades of experience coming from industry veterans, academics, and leaders who have been in the most critical roles of startups, growing companies, and enterprise titans. Not only do we make recommendations, but we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty right next to you. We truly believe that organizations are at the epicenter of social change. And by creating positive shifts within those organizations, we create ripple effects that have profound and lasting impacts on communities and society at large. If you want to become a more effective leader, if you want to create a high-performing team, or if you need to scale your company in ways that will stand the test of time, then Better, Faster, Further is for you. Visit our website at betterfasterfurther.com or email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Thanks for your time. Now let's get back to our discussion. I love the the environmentally minded kind of efforts as well, because it's it's so easy to disregard that stuff, but I feel like with a little thoughtful planning. And some consideration, you can you could still drive you know incredibly successful businesses and be mindful and aware and actually you know do some good in the world or at least offset some of the the challenges or you know some of the bad that it is you know just comes inherently with having to having to be in business at times you know given the the, the complexity and the dynamics and the global reach like what's it like to try to operate in a business that's spanning I think you said over two hundred countries I mean that's just like kind of mind boggling. We've got customers that sit in around 200 plus countries, and so we're able to support their needs. You know, our, where we've got people is obviously less less countries than that, but but it is complex, right? I mean, so you know, the company's been around for a long time, right? So there are some legacy processes, legacy systems that we need to work through, and my team and I are focused on you know helping drive efficiencies, right? Helping drive process improvements, bringing AI in where it makes sense. So. For us, you know, it's all about how do we continue to improve our ability to take care of the customer's needs, right? That's that's the, at, at the heart of everything we're looking to do. One of the other things, Regan, that you asked, you asked me and I didn't necessarily answer it head on was the culture, right? So when you talk about the culture for Orange, the culture is, for me, what I've seen in the past six weeks, it's fantastic, right? I mean, it's like a family, right? So we had the sales kickoff in Houston. I was there for a week and and I felt like I'd been there for years, right? I mean, people were super welcoming, open to, they've been open to new ideas. They welcome the new ideas, right? They, they want to move forward. They want to do things that are going to, frankly, make it easier for them to do their job, make it easier for them to take care of the customer, make it easier for us to deliver, right? Based on what the, we've sold to the customer through the contract. So the intent of the the employees that that I have an opportunity to work with in North America and in Latin America is it, just outstanding, right? Just just great people, and so from for me that that piece has been really important. And one of the, one of the things that I've shared with my team, and whether it's here or, or DXC or BT, is if you, if you're not if you're not happy, you know, 70 percent of the time, getting out of bed every day, doing what you're doing, you probably should be doing something different. And so for me, you know, getting out of bed and doing things and, and, you know, I've, I've shared with you guys a little bit as far as what I'm, what I'm trying to tackle and coming up to speed as far as, you know, understanding how the organization works. The people um, have been incredibly helpful as far as sharing information and just helping me continue to move forward with what we're trying to accomplish, which, which has been outstanding. Hearing you talk about just the, the, the culture and the familial kind of aspects of that, 
you know, we've, we work in so many different organizations and you definitely, when you walk in, there's a tone and a texture and a vibe that exists. And, and some of them are, you know, let's say more execution focused. Like it's not necessarily like a nice or a fun place to work, but they, they, they get shit done. There's, there's other ones that are like great places to work and, you know, maybe TBD on, on the ability to execute. But the, the, I guess a question that comes to mind less around orange, but just more, you know, in general, in those kind of more friendly, familial based kind of cultures is sometimes when you have to have like a really tough performance conversation, like as a team or as a company, are we performing as a team? Are we holding our weight as a team? Like when somebody has been at a company for a long time, let's say a decade plus, you just build these rich connections with people, you know, their spouses, you know, their children, you've, you've been to events, whatever it may be, but there's that, I'm considering that kind of that familial connection. But then when you have to, you know, either let someone go or, 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 or hold somebody's feet to the fire, it it can be a challenge. And, And there's a lot of companies out right now that are taking very strong stances around their businesses like we are not a family we are a business we are here to get something done like you you know if if you're on the bus then you're on you know you need to be here for the right reasons and so which is just quite counter to some of you know the things that you're touching on again in the position that that you know in your experience of of maybe working for more execution centric ones versus more of the 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 familial vibe which is the ones that I enjoy being a part of i love going to work and actually having friends and, and being cordial and, and all of that. I'm just wondering if you see kind of the shadow side to that when it comes to any of the execution stuff. Yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it is a business, right? And at the end of the day, we are in, in business to make profit, right? For our shareholders, right? And, at, and we need to take care of our customers and we need to deliver on those contracts, you know? And so there are, there are challenging conversations that need to take place. From an overall approach perspective, I think there's the ability to, to bring people along or there's the ability to just kind of frankly knock people over the head and say, this is what you're going to do. And, and I, and I've never seen that, that be successful. Right. So for me, it's about making sure that we're working with the team, right. Everybody understands the objectives. It goes back to planning, right. Everybody understands what the plan is. And then you have a decision to make, right. You're either to the point you made, you're either on the bus or you're not. But at least you, you as an individual contributor, as, as an individual within the team, right, one of the athletes on the field, you're either going to contribute or you're not. But it's going to be a decision that you make, right, to do that. Because I want to make sure that the team has the facts, right, that they need to make the decision. They've got the tools and the capability and the support. And with all those things, right, if you decide, you know, that, frankly, you want to do something different or this isn't, you know, the journey for you, that's okay. Right. But it's a decision that, you know, most of the time the individual will make. Now, sure. Are there the occasions where, you know, someone's trying and they're just not getting there? Absolutely. And, and those do become challenging conversations. But one, you can't shy away from. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, you need everybody to be contributing right to the team. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, part of the piece about being clear in, in where we're going is, you know, a lot of leaders don't do a good job of that. Even a lot of companies, you know, I think they think they're more clear than they are. And, 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 you know, if you go around a room and ask 10 employees, like, where are we headed? You may get eight to 10 different answers. So I, I, I love the fact that you're kind of put some stakes in the ground there and people can opt in or out and, um, you know, really just setting that trajectory for folks. And then having, as you alluded to earlier, just some latitude around, you know, potentially how we get there and when we get there, but understanding that we are, you know, 
headed north, if you will. That's amazing. I'm also just curious, you know, when, when you when you think about yourself as a leader in, in the sense of just like trying to rally other people in a common direction, are there things that you have learned or, 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 or things that you utilize consistently? Maybe planning is one of them. It seems like, you know, you, you've, you've adopted some rigor and hygiene around how you plan and the value of that and how that gets pushed through. Are there other aspects of, of being a leader that you find just impactful? Communication, right? So for me, communication is, is, is super important, right? As far as making sure that you're communicating at all levels within the organization and making sure that you're thinking more broadly about that. You know, I've, I've been with Orange for a short period of time, but some of the other leaders have been reaching out to me because some of the decisions that, that we're making specifically around the sales team has impacts in some areas of the business that, that I wasn't even aware of or, or I hadn't thought through, right? So making sure that you're communicating and sharing the information fairly widely, right? So you can get, you know, one, people will share their point of view. Two, there's other contributors that you need to think about. But for me, the communication uh, piece, Regan, is, is super important, right? And just making sure that everybody understands what the end goal is, understanding what the objective is, and, um, you know, making sure that everyone's aligned to that, to that vision. So on that communication front, and again, you may or may not have an answer to this, like, are you thinking strategically, for lack of a better term, about how to communicate, when to communicate, whom to communicate, or, or is it more of a organic kind of constant pulse out into the organization? Because as you, as you said just a second ago, like, you know, there's, there's kind of downstream impacts that you might not, you, you don't know what you don't know. And, and so are people getting that information kind of secondhand or are you, you know, is, is some of the communication one-on-one? Is it, is it team-based? Is it department-based? Is it, you know, I'm just wondering how you kind of think about going through your first six weeks and, and, and the, 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 the proactivity that you're putting forth in regards to communication. That's a good question, right? So some of it's from a, from a broad point of view, right? As far as sharing a vision, right? So sharing a vision as far as where you'd like to go, how you'd like to get there. Um, and then you get into working small. What I found is working smaller groups with people that, you know, have, have been around, they understand some of the, the nuances within the organization that, that, I, that I would not be aware of. And so working through those pieces are really important. So that's on a smaller note. And then with a number of the other executives that I work with, you know, having those conversations one-on-one. So it's a two-way sharing. It's not just, this is what we're doing, but this is what we're proposing and get feedback, right? So if there's feedback, if there's a different way, if there's something else that we need to be doing to help you know, us ultimately achieve the end goal of what we're looking to achieve. One of the things that I found is that in you know, some of the things that we're looking at from a sales org structure perspective is that what we had thought about three weeks ago has changed over the last couple of weeks, right? Based on a number of things, right? Based on targets, based on capabilities based on where we're going as an organization, based on capability. And so, you know, that that has brought us back to a point where we, we had a plan. We took a number of elements into consideration and we're changing the plan a little bit, but that plan is still moving forward. And um, I think it will be far better for it. And, you know, so for me, it's, it's you, you put it out there, you assess, and then you continue to update as you go forward. And it's it's a combination from broad vision to one-on-one communication. It just depends on the audience, right? And so for me, over-communicating at this point is is better than under-communicating, right? Because if I if I have stakeholders or I've got folks that aren't aware of what we're trying to do, or 
the reason or the or the how, you know, they get nervous, right? Because I had a conversation this morning, right, with somebody in, in one of our areas of the business where, you know, they, they were potentially getting nervous about some of the things that they were hearing. And to your, to your point, right, it was second, third hand. So we had a conversation one-on-one, got that all settled, squared away. And, you know, now, now he's comfortable about what some of the things we spoke about. What's so fascinating is understanding your audience is so key because then you adjust to the messaging and then knowing when to, you know, go broad-based versus pick up the phone and speak to somebody one-on-one, again, in such a distributed work environment, I think is key. And a lot of people, a lot of leaders, even senior leaders kind of miss that beat. You know, so much of the communication that we're interacting with is over email and Slack messages or text or however, you know, you all do it, but it's like this, you know, small dose, you know, only words on a screen and, and so much of the meaning I, you know, I've heard up to 93% of the meaning that we extract from conversations is nonverbal. So when all you have is words on a screen, you're layering all this kind of bias and, and kind of emotion into the words when in fact somebody may have just been in a hurry and clanged away a quick email but like you're like oh my gosh jeff is pissed and he's mad at me and he doesn't like my team and you're like no 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 that's not the case but i find that fascinating so adjusting the modality and then adjusting to to really understand your audience is so key totally agree and and with email with text right i mean you can get something taken out of context pretty quickly yeah, I worked with a leader at DXE, and, and, and his view was: is if you can't if you can't solve it in two emails, right, get on the phone, right, pick up the phone, have a conversation, and you can accomplish so much talking on the phone. And I and I tell that to my kids because my daughter's twenty two, twenty, and, he, and even my son. I mean, they text everything, right? It's everything through text and through Snapchat or or, or whatever the medium is. But I said, pick up the phone, right? That that fancy device that you've got, right? You can also talk through it. It's fantastic. Says the guy working in massive telecom industry for the last few years. <laughs> right. That's awesome. What else is on the horizon for, for Mr. Jones, even, even just beyond the new role? I mean, A, it's a big role. You're, you're new to it. I think you've said six weeks in. So obviously, you know, it's going to be an interesting year, a big year. It sounds like a lot of, of growth and opportunity and, and exciting changes on the horizon for, for you and the company and, and the role that you're in. Kind of bringing it back home to the to the personal side. What what are some of the things that Jeff does for fun, for hobbies, to kind of get energy? It sounds like you really love your work, but there's a life beyond work as well. I, I really enjoy what I do, and so I spend a lot of time with work. But for me, with you know Moab looming out there in in October, right? Training's part of what I do. But even if I wasn't doing the ring, and I, I start every day, I get up, you know, I get up, have a cup of coffee, feed the dogs, and then I, I do some sort of exercise, right? Whether it, it's running, whether it's lifting weights, whether it's swimming. For me, it's a great way to, you know, start the day, gets me off on the, on the right foot. It allows me to plan my day as far as some of the things that I need to think through. And, you know, right now I live in Chicago, I live outside Chicago. So the weather is, um, is a bit cool. So as it warms up, you know, I'll be outside doing a bit more running. And, um, for me, that's, that's just the best way to start the day. So far as, as far as what I'm going to be doing this year, one, you know, making sure that from a work perspective, we get to where we need to get to, we've got the team that we need to have in place to ultimately succeed on the goals that have been set. But then beyond work, it's, you know, for me, it's, it's spending time with family. So I'll have some of my, some of the girls, the girls will be home for summer. So, um, you know, 
we'll get to spend time with with them and then um you know running and just being able to um to stay fit and um, stay healthy right so for me between now mid-february and october the whole thing is is to continue to to drive from an endurance perspective right stay healthy and probably mix in you know a triathlon here or there and um some road races just to keep it um a bit different but um that's that's what's on the plan right now that's awesome and have you noticed with uh i don't know how long have you been kind of integrating the yoga into it but just you know with any with any sport but kind of building the muscle, obviously diet is, is, is key and, and maybe a separate conversation, but then working in kind of the, the mobility and flexibility components are, are, are often overlooked aspect of that. And I think, you know, from my experience, just, you know, from in injury reduction to just strengthening and lengthening, you know, and, and, and general mobility, it's so important to do that. And I wish I took more time to do that. I'm just focused on getting the exercise that's <laughs> itself. And that feels like a victory. But I, I oftentimes overlook that, but it's so critical. Yeah, for me, it's important. And I've incorporated it in, you know, it's, it's one day a week. So I do it for about an hour and a half on Saturdays. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I can feel a difference, see a difference, right? I, I am getting a bit more flexible. But um, I never used to stretch, right? So all this stuff that I've ever done, I've really never stretched. And, you know, there's, I guess there's two schools of thought, right? Some people stretch, some people don't stretch. And I never did. And so... On the days that I'm not doing yoga, I don't, but um, I do enjoy it because, it, like, like I said at the beginning, it, it is challenging. It, it Frankly, it, it's humbling. And the folks that I'm in the class with, right, some people are a little bit younger. Some people are a little bit older. And, you know, some of the things that, you know, the, the yoga instructor has us doing is just super challenging, right? And it's just totally different than anything that I've done before. So it, for me, it's just the next thing as far as how do I continue to evolve what I'm doing around fitness. And you, I assume, are behind a screen a lot. It sounds like recently you've been on a plane a lot or, or you know, taxis or tuk-tuks or whatever, whatever the vehicle is. But, you know, do you work at a standing desk? Do you sit a lot? Like I find, uh, you know, one of our buddies that we kind of grew up with in Durango, Kelly Starrett, is really focused on mobility and, and standing desks and just these little, little, not even tips and tricks. It's like integrated into your day to day, but just like by micro dosing that through the day all day long, it's, it's pretty, has pretty profound impacts, especially on this kind of work from home, highly virtualized computer-based screen-based stuff. It's amazing what you can accomplish in an eight or nine hour a day and, and like not even leave your office. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I do have multiple screens. I, I'm in an office with three screens. And so as far as productivity goes, I'm more productive at my home office, right, than I am on the road with this with just a laptop, right? I, I do I do enjoy the multiple screens. It just helps me do things. I am at a standing desk, right? So the flexi desk for me, um, I actually got it right before COVID. I stand probably five or six hours a day. Um, you know, later in the day when I'm reading emails or I'm, I'm writing, right, uh, I will I will drop it back down and, and sit. But for me, I start every day probably five, six hours standing. And for me, it's, it's, been, it's been good. I know I've got a couple of friends that have the standing desk with the, the treadmill, right? So they're walking and working, standing at the same time. It's, um, I've not done that. I've looked at them, but, um, but the standing desk for me has been, has been a great addition. I, I really enjoy it. I agree. I don't know about the treadmill. I haven't tried that yet, but like, I have a hard time like walking and chewing gum. So I'm not sure if like writing an email and doing zoom calls and walking, but I, I, I'm, I'll try anything. Yeah. I've seen people do it. Right. And so, 
you know, they do it and they, they walk miles a day and they do it slow enough so they can still be on conference calls. They wear a headset, right? So, and, and they've been fine. And, you know, from a conditioning perspective, at least weight loss, pretty amazing what, what I've seen people do, right? Just based on eating healthy and, and, you know, standing versus sitting. And I mean, if you can walk at the same time, yeah, it's, it's been quite surprising with some of the results. I mean, if you cannot leave your office and walk five miles a day and like get stuff done, that's that's pretty amazing. That's that's true multitasking right there. I've got friends that also have trainer bikes, right? So they can they can ride at the same time that they're working. I've I've not done that, but um, yeah, I've got a couple of friends that do that as well. It's like beads of sweat are coming on the forehead as you're trying to like. Yeah, Jeff, you're working for me. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good mix, right? Exactly. Before we join the call, it sounds like you both, Adam and Jeff, are on the wait list for Moab 240, which comes up later this year, you know, maybe we can kind of close things out by just talking a little bit about that and maybe any lessons learned from, from your last tour and what you guys may or may not do different. I know whether you get into Moab 240 this year or not, there's other kind of opportunities and races on the horizon, but um, any lessons learned from, from the last 80 mile tour that you did with, with Aaron and Adam and, and anything in particular that you're mentally or physically kind of prepping for this year? For me, it's, it's the climbing, right, and the elevation. You know, I mean, there was a couple of times when we were climbing where it was it was pretty challenging. And we had gotten through, I think, the first long day. It was probably 24 hours in. I think we slept for maybe an hour and a half. And it was cold. It was windy. And um, we started rolling the next morning. This is when I thought we were going to be descending the entire day, right? And we, we started going, Reagan, and it was probably, I don't know, Adam, what, 15, 20 minutes in, and all of a sudden we come to this rock wall. And it was like the steepest thing that, that I had climbed since, you know, I had been out there. And I'm thinking to myself, you got to be kidding me, right? Because I thought we were going to be going down and we're like going straight up. And it was muddy and it was wet and it was just, it was cold. I, I don't know if you remember that, Adam. I do, yeah. Is that the LaSalle's? Where are you at that point? That was the LaSalle's. That was sort of our last leg in the LaSalle. It's basically Pole Canyon to Geyser Pass is the is the LaSalle. The LaSalle you're traversing the LaSalle. And then when you leave Geyser Pass, the section that, that Jeff is talking about, you sort of, you go up this dirt road for a little bit, then you descend a little bit, and you, you know, you're in the beautiful forest. Of course, it was nighttime for us, so it, it looked like a beautiful forest. But, you know, you, you, it looks as if you're going to start going down, and then there's one last climb that's pretty significant, and then you start working your way back down into the desert. Yeah, and then there was another significant climb, and it just seemed like they kept coming, right? Yeah. So as far as lessons learned, right? I mean, be ready for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the things that Adam was great about, and and Adam, I, I owe you some spring energy, actually, a lot of it. Adam was like a spring energy vending machine, right? So he he had all of this gel on him that was for me was a lifesaver because as we got to some of the aid stations, they they were you know either running short or didn't have some of the things that for me were working really well. And Adam just happened to have just a, a whole ton of it, right? I mean, he's like, you want 100 calories, 200 calories, 250 calories? And it was outstanding. So I, I've got to uh, return the favor, Adam, next time I see you. And um, that, that, was a, uh, that was definitely a lifesaver for sure. Yeah, I mean, for, for those who, who are listening and enjoy being outside, Spring is a great brand because it's real ingredients. If you, if you flip over the, the package of the gel, it's not a bunch of words that you can't pronounce and have no idea what they are. It's literally figs, brown rice, you know, things like that. And it, so it's, for me, following a plant-based nutrition plan, I, it's really nice to eat real food. 
even if it's in gel format uh, along the way. And as Jeff mentioned, they come in these different sizes. So you can figure out if you're, if you're shooting for 250 or 400 calories an hour, you can sort of dial it in based on those, those gel packets in between aid stations. Kind of nice. And then Jeff, one thing I've been really curious about just in regards to, you know, being a pacer for somebody in general, you know, when you met these guys, like how, how, at that point, how fast are people going? And like, what's, what's the mindset for you? Cause don't get me wrong. Running 80 miles is like huge in and of itself. And you have this moral obligation to like keep your shit together so that you're like at least being supportive for these folks and you know not real fast right so when we left road 46 most of it was incline right so we had to um to pole canyon it was a long climb up and so we were moving but we weren't moving super fast but that being said i remember when we got to the end of the race both adam and aaron finished that race running right which was super impressive. And Aaron, and I, and I was sticking with Aaron. Adam went ahead and he finished a little bit ahead of us. But I stuck with Aaron and Aaron's like, all right, we're going. And I'm like, you're kidding, right? And he's like, not kidding. We're going. <laughs> so it, it was, um, yeah, it, it was a challenge. But um, when you're climbing, right, you, you want to keep moving forward, obviously, and you want to keep at a, at, a, at a decent pace. But at that point, right, especially because it was, what time do we leave um, Road 46 at 3 a.m.? So we were, um, we were being slightly cautious. And both Aaron and I were, were limping and, you know, it, it wasn't a necessarily pretty sight. You know, th- these weren't short running shorts and, you know, mid-calf socks and fancy running shoes. And, you know, off we go with this perfect stride. It was, oh, man, this hurts. And, you know, you're leaning on your poles and whatever. And I think, Regan, one of the other things that you asked, right, as far as endurance sports or whatever from a career perspective, you guys talked about it in the podcast that I listened that you did with Aaron, right? And I, and I don't know if Aaron brought it up or, when, or either you guys brought it up, but the word was curiosity, right? So being curious. And it was interesting because I, I remember hearing that. And then when I was at this sales kickoff earlier in January, and one of the one of the folks that worked for the company talked about the curiosity, right? You know, curiosity is really important in business. Curiosity is really important in personal life, in sports, right? And so for me, being curious about doing different things kind of keeps you going, keeps it exciting. So I think that 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 for me really stuck based on the podcast that I had listened to previously. And it's always kind of kept me going to the next thing. I've told a couple of my friends that, you know, I'm signed up for on the waiting list for the the, the 240 and they're like, I don't want to drive 240 miles, let alone run 240 miles. And my, my wife is, isn't super supportive, right? She's, um, she's like, that's too far, right? That's, that's a long way to go. And it is a long way to go, right? But it's from a challenge perspective, you know, being curious on, you know, can you do it mentally and physically? Well, Jeff, it has been a total pleasure, A, just to get to, to know you and call it serendipity or luck or just, you know, random chance. But the fact that you and Aaron and Adam, you know, ran into each other or tripped into each other uh, last year at the Moab 240, and the introduction to get to meet you and 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 you getting a chance to meet, um, you know, my co-founder Louis Selencourt, and you know, our our exposure to you has been awesome, and uh, want to continue to to obviously stay in touch and and totally wish you the best and all of your endeavors at, at Orange and, and the new big role that you have. It's, it's a, it's, it is a big one. I think there's going to be a lot of really amazing things that you can do for the, for the company and for your team. And just super excited about that. And I know that you have literally been on planes, trains, and automobiles 
for the last few weeks. And uh, before we started the podcast, you, you, you shared another hit list of like four or five different foreign places that you're going to be over the coming weeks. But thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule just to sit down and, and, and chat with us. And yeah, we can't, we can't thank you enough. We know you're a busy guy and we'll definitely stay in touch. Adam, any, any kind of final closing thoughts, comments, questions for, for Mr. Jones? It's just great to see you, Jeff. And, and uh, I echo what Regan said about the serendipitous meeting or chance or luck or whatever you want to call it. But I'm excited about what's to come. I'm really excited about, about the adventures ahead, both in business and, and, and outside. And, you know, really excited about our experience together coming up in October and, you know, all the things getting ready for that. So yeah, just awesome. I'm, I'm just happy that we all got to know each other. Thanks, Adam. Likewise. Yeah. It, it's been, you know, great spending time with you, your family and, um, you know, with Aaron and uh, I look forward to October. Hopefully I'll get to see you before at a, at a race. I know that there's a couple of things that we're talking about potentially pacing some others, which could be, uh, could be great. And then Regan for you and Louie, I mean, meeting you guys has been fantastic. I appreciate all the support and um, you know, you guys are a, a fantastic organization. So really appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. And what will make this whole thing very interesting or serendipitous is if both of your fathers happen to have been like stationed in Hawaii at the same time. That would be like a real whodunit, which is which is awesome. The world is smaller than we think sometimes. So Jeff, one more time, tell us the name of your of your dad's book and how do folks find it? Like, is it on Amazon and stuff? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Yeah. So sm- Snake Rolling and Hot. It's on Amazon. Um, Arthur Lee Bud Jones. And um, yeah, it's a good read. Awesome. We'll link to it in the show notes, Jeff. Is there any other links that you'd like us to include in the show notes? If people want to connect with you, is there a good way? LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn's a great way. Absolutely. Lovely. Jeff, onward and upward. Have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks so much for your time. And we'll catch up with you really soon. Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us today on the Better, Faster, Further podcast. We're honored to have you here and to share these insights, stories, and best practices with you. 100% of our business comes from word of mouth. We focus on delivering the promise, building strong relationships with our clients, and then let the results speak for themselves. If you or someone in your network would benefit from speaking with us directly, please reach out. Our website is betterfasterfurther.com and we can be found on LinkedIn. Or you can email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We hope you join us on our next episode. And until then, stay positive. Keep working hard, and we'll see you on the flip side.